Welcome to the Making Manchester Fairer podcast. Making Manchester Fairer is our city's approach to tackling the preventable differences in health and life chances between the people and communities that have the best health and those that have the worst health in our city. Our approach is all about working together to focus on the social conditions that affect our health, life chances and even how long we live. This is Manchester. We know the facts. It's time to act. Hi, I'm Dr Cordella Fouri. I'm Deputy Director of Public Health in the City of Manchester. And today we're going to touch on two of the themes that are really critical to our approach for making Manchester fairer. Fighting structural racism and discrimination and the importance of strengthening community power and connections. Um, But I'd really like to come at this from a leadership perspective today. And in order to do that, I'm really excited to be joined by two brilliant leaders um, who are my colleagues, also women of colour. And they are also people I happen to work really closely with on the Making Manchester Fairer agenda. Um, So I've got Shafali Kapoor with me and Shamila Khan. Would you both like to introduce yourselves to start off with? Thanks, Cordell. Um, Yes, I'm Shafali Kapoor. I'm Director of Communities at Manchester City Council. Hi, Cordell. I'm Shamila Carr, and I'm the Joint Director of Equality and Engagement at the City Council and working across health. Um, So just to start off, should we just talk a little bit about the importance of diversity and leadership? Like, why, why is it important? What does it mean? Any thoughts? I think I think for me it's it's really important and I think for a number of reasons. I think firstly given the world that we work in and what we do, obviously we're here to um you know work with and for people who live in Manchester. Um the city itself is extremely diverse and we've seen the changes in you know the population over the last 10 years and more. Um and so if we are not diverse in terms of our leadership and you know what we do within the city in terms of how we deliver services, then I don't think we're keeping in touch with the people that live here and we're not understanding them as fully and we're not representative and all of those things that matter to people. And I think importantly, people want to see people like them, you know, reflected in um, the delivery of services and so on. So for me, that's important. And alongside diversity of thinking and thought and, and all of those different things that different people bring, um, so for me, I think they're like some of the most important things. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. I think uh, leadership and diversity are the two things that go uh, hand in hand. Um, and I think you can't have true authentic leadership without having diverse leadership. You need people that reflect your communities. You need people that bring their lived experience to the table. And, you know, for me, you look to leaders that look like you, but it's not just about representation, because I think representation is an output of a fair and just society. Mm. And I think leadership needs to reflect that um, in terms of what we do. And it's so core to what we're trying to deliver uh, through Making Manchester Fairer. Yeah, and just to give some statistics that kind of support what you were saying, so we all work in Manchester, and... um, The latest census shows that 52% of our residents now in Manchester are from black, Asian and other minority ethnic groups in Manchester. And for children, it's 63% um, of all of the children. So recognising that we know that racism and discrimination has an impact on health inequalities. If we don't do something about that, there's no way that we're going to be able to address the health gaps in the city that we see. 
So I was having a think about this this morning and um, I was having yet another listen to um, <laughs> Professor Kamara Jones, some audience out there. We're not going to be able to speak a lot about her, but I'd really encourage anybody listening to look her up and um, listen to her TED talk. Um, but she's really known for using um, allegory, so storytelling, to kind of bring to life what racism is and the impact it has. Um, and there's a story that she tells that she calls the restaurant saga. And I had another listen to it and I was thinking about it from a kind of being a woman of colour and a leadership perspective and what that actually means. So very briefly, I can't describe the whole story, but very briefly, she talks about when she was a medical student, her and her friends had been working all day in the evening, wanted something to eat, go to a restaurant. They sit down at the restaurant, they're eating, um, at what she describes, eating at the table of opportunity. And she looks up and sees the sign on the door and the sign says open. And she said, oh, you know, she could have thought nothing of it. But then she thought, actually, that sign has two sides. And the fact that she can see open, she knows that that means on the other side of the sign, it says closed, which means actually there are people walking past the restaurant now who will see closed and therefore can't come in to eat. And basically she kind of uses that um, as an example of how the people in the rest, inside the restaurant who don't know that that sign has two sides are therefore privileged because they don't know it has two sides and they don't know that there are people on the other side of the door who are seeing a closed sign and, and can't come in and how it's a privilege to not know that the sign has two sides but actually once you know that you have to be able to do something about it. So I'll see what you think about this. But the new reflection I had about it as people in positions of leadership who are people of colour, we know what it's like to be on the other side of the restaurant door. And actually, we know what it's like to have seen that sign and not to be able to come in. And therefore, when we are in leadership positions and we're working in collaboration with partners who people maybe who have had the privilege of not knowing that there are two sides we can bring a different perspective because we have that experience. And that was just something that hit me. I was just wondering what you, what you thought about it. I completely kind of, uh, it resonates with me um, because I think um, as a woman, as a person of colour, as a queer woman, you bring different identities to your leadership kind of journey. And, you know, you have to kind of really think about how and where you belong and there's been times when you know you come into a room where you could you could be the only woman in the room, you could be the only person of colour. You know, obviously sexual orientation is not obvious, but you know um, it's still you'd still bring that with you. So, and therefore you bring that lived experience to the table, and that then kind of can influence how the conversation goes, how decisions are made. So I think you know that example that you've given and that um, what Kamara Jones talks about is really really relevant I think we live and breathe that almost every day in mm. the in the roles that we do and that's why I think it's really important that when you're in that position that you open the door for other uh, you know women of color particularly to be able to kind of you know climb up that ladder yeah I, I, de I definitely agree with what you've said you know it is, um, you know, what, and you, you're telling the story and, and like Shamila, you know, you sort of think back to examples or things where it's absolutely resonated with you, where, you know, you've been in a room where 
you you can see, like you said, the other side of the door, or you can you can understand what it feels to be like on the other side of the door. But sometimes when you're trying to either put that point across or articulate it in a way within the room that you're in, it sometimes is not either understood fully or or appreciated. And I think um, you know we've the three of us have had many conversations around this, and and I think it's. Um, it's just, I, I find it really great at the moment that we've got three people sat here who, even though you know we're all people of colour, we all bring a different lived experience. Yeah. And we all, um, you know, we've been quite open in terms of sharing some of that with each other and what that means. And, and I think because of that, I know I, I've certainly learned even more as a result of it. You know, I bring my own experience, you, you know, we all do. And I think that, that appreciation that you can never stop learning as well, and actually, you know, just because you are a person of colour doesn't mean you all have the same experience. And I think it's appreciating that even though it's closed on the other side, it can be closed for a number of different reasons, if you like. And, and that's the bit that we're still trying to work through and understand. And I think the more people that start to think about it in that way or appreciate it in that way and recognise the individuality of people as well as, you know, what there are obviously common experiences as well, how that all comes together is, is really important. Yeah. And I think also, just to follow on from Shafali, is, you know, in terms of that leadership representation around the table, you sometimes are the only person making those points and are the only person. So it's an incredible emotional weight to carry. And you can't speak for all women of colour, but you know acutely you're there, you know, representing a particular group of people. And I think that can be quite... Um, challenging sometimes it can feel like a lonely place yeah, sometimes. absolutely you know and I, I think that's the thing isn't it and it's it's you know where do you get your support from and that sort of um you know connection and and so on and I think um yeah I think yeah it can it can feel like that especially like you say when you're sometimes the only person in the room I think that's why the sisterhood is really important it is absolutely yeah <laughs> saluting our sisters yeah. in November by the way <laughs> two days out um. <laughs> Yeah, re really, really important. And, um, and I think one of the things that I value from both of you, so as well as having other women of colour and leadership positions for peer support, it's actually your professional expertise and experience as well, because you have very different professional backgrounds to mine. And um, one of the things that I was going to ask Jamila just to talk a little bit, a bit about, because she does it really well, is um, intersectionality. Um, because the word is getting banded around a lot at the moment, which I think is a good thing because it's important for people to recognise, <coughs> but sometimes it can then become very academic. So I think, you know, just for the audience, just to explain a little bit about what that means and why it's imp an important consideration for what we do. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, that we, we're in 2023 and we're talking about intersectionality, but Audrey Lord, who was kind of born in 1934 talked about race, class, gender, you know, yeah. back then. Yeah. Angela Davis is one of my big heroes, talked about, you know, intersectionality of how race and gender particularly, you know, form multiple, can be multiple forms of oppression. Um, but we've kind of coined the phrase now and we're talking more about it. I think in, a, in simple terms, it's about how your gender, how your race, how your class, how your lived experience can intersect in different ways. 
and you know what that means in terms of how structures and system then kind of you know uh, further perpetuate systems of oppression and what that means in terms of looking at how we provide services how we commission services how we address health inequalities because people are not binary yeah you know people are not just a woman or just a man or just you know lgbtq plus they bring those intersecting identities together and i think if we don't think about people in those holistic ways you will end up kind of delivering services that don't always meet the needs of those individuals and those communities. So I think in thinking about, you know, identities through that intersectional lens is really important. And I think people think about it quite academically, but actually in simple terms, that's what it is. It's bringing those intersecting identities together and then thinking about how do we think about health inequalities through that lens. And that's how I see it in, in simple terms. And yeah. what does that mean for kind of what we do, how we work with communities, the work that we're doing yeah. at the moment? I think for me, you know, just building on what you said, Shamila, you know, we've talked, we talk, haven't we, for a long time about a person-centred approach. And that's, that's absolutely right, a person-centred approach. But it's understanding the person. Yeah. And, you know, what you've just described, that's about understanding the person or people. And, um, and I think sometimes maybe when we talk about people-centered approaches you know people understand that to a point so they recognize it's about you know understanding the lived experience of certain people or you know um uh, you know the way that we have conversations with people and so on but i do wonder whether um how far um i suppose do we describe what that means in terms of person-centered approach but also what's people's understanding of that as well. And, and I definitely think there's probably more that we can do in that space to, um, you know, to sort of improve what we do and how we speak to people and what that means for communities and so on. Um, because it is so important, you know, uh, like you described, you, do, you, you, you sort of talked about some of the statistics at the beginning. It's, it's a massive thing for Manchester, you know, and if we don't start to understand that and start to, it's almost like an onion, isn't it? And unpeeling the layers a little bit and start to understand some of that, then um, we're not going to be able to reduce the health inequality gap or the inequality gap within the city. So, yeah. yeah. And I think you know, there's something about valuing all of who somebody is and respecting Absolutely. all of who somebody is yeah. and how whether no matter what kind of service you are providing for them, whether it's in a care setting or a support setting or whatever it is, acknowledging their whole identity yeah. and the fact that all aspects of their identity and who they are are going to have an impact on what their needs are, yeah. what kind of support might, they might need or want, what would benefit them. Yeah. And so all of that needs to be acknowledged, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it, it almost... Like you said, we talk about person-centeredness, and if we yeah. were doing it properly, yeah. it should go without saying. But yeah, absolutely, often it doesn't. Yeah, and I think that's because you know to do it to do, to do it in the right way, it's it's time-intensive, isn't it? Yeah, and it's and you know and um, we're always up up against a challenge, aren't we, in terms of deliver and you know see results versus actually. Doing, doing things in a, in a way that we know will be sustainable and, and all of those sorts of things. So it's, it's that jarring up against a couple of different things. Yeah. It's, it's how, how, we, how we balance that off and, and make sure that we, we are sort of doing some of that. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, going back to, again, what you were saying before, I think some of this comes back to how it's so important to understand the city, to understand the place, 
to understand who lives in those places, to understand some of those nuances within communities. And whilst that's not everything and it's not about every individual, it start, starts to tell a story and it starts to lead you into something that helps you understand things a little bit more and how when you are engaging, communicating, working as a service user, whatever it might be, you start to understand that a little bit more so you can start to enter that world a little bit more and then that helps you build that rapport and the conversation and all of those sorts of things which help you get to that place yeah. and I think there's definitely more that we can do in that space as well. And it's really important that we understand our history, yeah. you know, because you, we don't get to where we get to today without understanding where, you know, previous generations have been. And, you know, you talked about 62% of young, you know, children in the city identify as being from a black, Asian and minority. These are future leaders of yeah. our city. And if we don't yeah. nurture and if we don't kind of encourage and we don't give them the right opportunities, we're going to perpetuate that inequality that we currently see. So it really is about understanding that history, doing something about it, and then you know taking that forward to deliver what we need to deliver. Absolutely. And actually, if we don't do things differently, those 63% of children won't be the future leaders, Correct. even though they'll be... 63% of the population. So. And it's not that they don't have talent. Yes, and it's not that they don't have ability. Yeah. It's just, a, for me, it's about the lack of opportunity yeah. and those the closed sign door. Yeah. And that's what stops yeah. people getting to their full potential. Yeah. And the knowledge about the opportunity. But, you know. Yeah. So I guess talking about kind of opportunity in children and young people and future leaders, um, we were all young people once. <laughs> I'm still a young person. <laughs> Um, but in terms of leadership, is there anybody who's kind of inspired you or ma really made an impact on you? Um, I think for me, there's probably a couple of people and, and it's probably been... And I think I've sort of reflected on this a little bit because um, I think it's... It could be dead easy to say, oh, you know what, it's somebody who I used to have in, in high regard or whatever, mm. and in, in from work perspective. Mm. And the more I thought about this, I thought, actually, who shaped me as a leader and who shaped me as a person? And I think for me, it's very much been family orientated. Yeah. So my maternal grandmother is like, you know, she's still alive. She's 92. She's, you know, a force to be reckoned with. She's, um, you know, if I think back to some of the things that she did in a day, you know, it, it was very groundbreaking, if you like. You know, she uh, she she set a stall out with her mother-in-law, for example, and was you know not going to do certain things and was going to do other things in a certain way, which are things that, if you think back then, they were very much against the grain. Yeah. You know, um, she's been accepting of so many people into her family. She's always just been that that matriarch, that that person, and so you know, she's definitely been an influence. And I think the other person, you know, and my mum is the same, you know, in terms of that, you know, all of that. But And then also my dad, you know, he came to this country um, with not much, you know, came with his two brothers. He started off door-to-door uh, -door and then, you know, got a shop and the shop was named after me and, you know, um, then, you know, grew his business. And, you know, he did that himself and you could just see somebody who worked really hard. But one of the things I always remember from, you know, because I worked in the shop from a young age, was that the way he treated the people who worked with him or mm. for him. Mm. And, you know, he was the one who was making the tea and the toast. He would never ask somebody else to do it because he recognised it was really important to look after the people that work for you. Yeah. And for me, from my leadership approach, I hope, <laughs> you know, that um, that's something that I've learned and is important to me, that I recognise actually how people support what you do and it's really important to acknowledge that 
and not to assume and make assumptions and, and all of that. And um, and I think the more, and as a, as a grow, as a leader, and as the more I, um, you know, sort of progress in my career, I think I realise what are some of the fundamentals that are really important to me as a leader. And some of those things, I think, are important rather than just sort of thinking, actually, I want to be up here and this is what I want to do and whatever, so... Absolutely, and that completely yeah. resonates with yeah. me, that whole yeah. being supportive of others, enabling others, respecting yeah. others, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always yeah. say, you know, my job is here to develop people, Yeah, that's my job, yeah. you know, yeah. Completely. How about you, Shamila? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, when I think about leadership, I think about it in kind of who's shaped me, but then who's also really uh, influenced me in terms of my thinking. Yeah. So, very much family, but the other way around, so my mum and dad met in the 60s my mum's white british my dad's indian met here in 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 england but then went back to india mm. in 69 and they set up a hospital and you know my mum was one of the few women that worked and she kind of developed the nursing element of it my dad you know was a doctor but they went back to this really tiny little place in in north bengal which you know it, this was in 1969 which had you know it was quite rural um and i think we've always been rooted in a sense of you know, doing the right thing for people and that whole sense of social justice. And I, mean, I think, you know, you're right, my dad, uh, you know, probably wouldn't coin the phrase in those days, but I think he was, he was a feminist, you know, and we were never told that you can't do something. Mm. We were always told that, you know, yeah. you have to strive and, you know, you, you are there to make a difference. So I think that's what's kind of shaped me. And I think from a, you know, more intellectual perspective, I think my, my hero is Angela Davis, you know, a black feminist, you know, revolutionary. And I think her writing has really shaped how I think as well. Could, for people who may not know who she is, could you say a little bit more about her? So she's a kind of intellectual thinker and she was um, in the 70s uh, the one on, on the FBI's most wanted list um, because she was part of the Black Panther movement. Mm. But she has written loads around kind of feminist theory and looking at the whole intersection between race and gender and class and, you know, she was quite radical, and she's still quite radical, and she's a queer woman as well, so um, she has really kind of been um, quite an influential uh, person in terms of who I've looked up to. Really inspiring. So we could talk all day. <laughs> I'm going to have to have Shamila Redshafali back um, for another podcast. Um, but just to wrap up for today, so I always ask people what making Manchester fairer means to them. Oh, wow. That's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> In 30 seconds. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think for me, and I think particularly with, I suppose, you know, I think, you know, you obviously said at the beginning, it, it's, it's almost like it's what it says on the tin almost, it's about making Manchester a fairer place and more equitable and all those sorts of things. But for me, and I guess with, the, with what I do and what I lead in the, in the work stream that I'm leading, for me, you know, it, it means, you know, Communities having a voice, it means communities not just having a voice, but being able to participate mm. and being able to influence. Yeah. Because all of those things combined help to shape what we do as as we go into the future. And that can only be, you know, that can be a good, it can be a good thing, you know. Um, and so that for me is what I really want to take forward and really start to drive and influence in terms of this piece of work. Brilliant. Thank you. And in a nutshell, just following on from uh, Shafali, for me, making Manchester fairer is about equity, justice and fairness. Yeah. Fantastic. I think that's a perfect way to end. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.